Welcome aboard, TTA travelers. Whether you're a humanoid, a robot, or an alien passenger, we hope you enjoy your trip along Tomorrowland Transit Authority's Super Skyway. Please put loose items in the pouch in front of you and securely buckle seatbelts. Let's put on the show. Mon ami, I am always ready to put on the show. <laughs> Hi, this is Iron Chef Cat Cora, and you're listening to the WDW Radio Show. WDW Radio. Your information station. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show. Your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 158 for the week of February 21st, 2010. It's time to answer more of your listener emails, including questions about how and when to find characters in the parks, special dining requirements, Disney transportation for extra magic hours, choosing a moderate resort for a family with kids, arranging surprises for people in your party, and more. And with the recent announcement of the unprecedented expansion of Fantasyland in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom, while fans rejoiced at what is to come, we need to remember that in the process, some things may go. Case in point, Mickey's Toontown Fair, the last land added to the Magic Kingdom, will be the first to be removed as part of the expansion. And before this whimsical land disappears forever, I wanted to take you on a virtual tour in hopes that you'll have a chance to visit one last time and appreciate so many of its amazing details and stories. And joining me this week in the first of a multi-part series exploring Mickey's Toontown Fair is noted Disney historian, author, and friend of the show, Jim Corcus. I'll play more of your voicemails at the end of the show so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. Time once again to answer as many of your listener emails as possible. Thank you all so very much for sending these in. And thank you again for your patience as we try and get through these as quickly and as timely as possible. And as you know, when it comes time to answer emails, I put the call out to none other than Becky Mankin from (laughs) MEI and Mouse Fan Travel. So, Becky, in the interest of moving as quickly as possible through as many as possible, I want to first welcome you back. Always a pleasure to have you here in the studio. Uh, once again, thank you for having me. And my two favorite words are still aqueduct. I thought you were going to say Disney Dream. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Aqueduct. I'm, I'm with you. I, and honestly, I don't know if that's two words or one, but I'm just going to say aqueduct. You know, the only thing about the dream is that I'm so... We know that there's more coming. We know that there's more details coming, and they just can't release it fast enough for us because we're booked, we're locked in, we're ready to go, and now I want more. We want to see and hear more. 
Yeah, especially since we have to wait for a year and some odd to, to go. This is going to be incredible trying to, to get through this anticipation. Well, we're, we have uh, we have a lot of people who are in the same boat, pardon the pun, as we are, <laughs> who are booked and are ready to go. So we're all very excited. So thanks, Excellent. quick thanks to you and your team for helping, uh, helping everybody get booked and ready for the cruise on the Disney Dream, which, by it's- the way, February 27th, 2011. Go to yep. com for more information. Woohoo! Quick plug in there. All right. So let's move on. And I'm super psyched for this first question. And I don't even know what it says in it, but I like it because it starts off this way. Hello, Lou. That's not the good part. My name <laughs> is, and, and forgive me, but I'm going to try my best. My name is Jean-Philippe Paré. Ooh, nice. Not bad. Nice. Not bad. He is a French Canadian from Quebec City, Canada. And Jean Philippe, I hope I pronounced, I hope I did your name justice. What the rest of your email is doesn't matter because that was the, <laughs> just me trying to speak in my French accent. Anyway, <laughs> Jean Philippe starts off by thanking me, saying, because by listening to the show, I'm not only learning things about Disney, but he's also learning to perfect my English. So thanks a lot. Hopefully, I'm not teaching people French because I may have butchered the pronunciation. Anyway, he also goes on to say thank you because on the last trip in April, he saw the saloon dancers excellent on Big Thunder Mountain for the first time after listening to the show, even if it was his 13th time in Walt Disney World. They're saloon dancers. (laughs) See, I knew you weren't going to have any idea. If you look very carefully on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, and you can really see them best and possibly only at night. As you go through the tiny town of Tumbleweed, look to the left, look to the left, because the saloon is sort of rocking back and forth, and if you look upstairs, you can see people dancing in the saloon. Oh, no way. Way. Okay, I gotta try that. Sorry, I didn't know that. I I usually have my eyes still closed about that point, so I will make a point of looking next time. Go look for the saloon dancers in in Tumbleweed. So his question is this, Jean-Philippe. I want to know what would be better for my next trip in 2010. This will be my youngest daughter's first time. She'll turn three next year in June. He has two other children, ages eight and ten. It'll be the first time that they're a party of five Love that show, Jennifer Love Hewitt, by the way. So if I understand correctly, (laughs) forgive me, if my daughter is over three years old, we can't stay in a value hotel standard room. We have to stay in two rooms, a sweet value room, or a moderate hotel. I want to know if it would be better financially to go before next June when his daughter is two years old and stay in a value hotel, or wait until next year's free dining plan deal assuming there is one, and stay at a moderate hotel. Now, he says, wow. just to be sure that you answer my question on your podcast, and Jean-Philippe, I answer every single email I get, I promise you, I'll answer. An, I'll ask another question. This time, it's food-related. <laughs> Do you That's think someday there will be a full-service table restaurant in a value hotel? Mm. I'm sure they could come up with a crazy-themed restaurant for Pop Century, Love. Thanks again. Love the show. Listening to your podcast is the best part of my day at work. Awesome. And then he says, a la prochaine. That's from Jean-Philippe. So I (laughs) can't even try the a la P-R-O-C-H-A-I-N-E. First things first, Becky, strategy-wise, does he go when his daughter is two 
or wait until she's three, try and see if they do free dining, stay in a moderate. Well, of course, he is correct that Disney allows a child under three that will sleep in a crib to be a fifth person in a, a standard value resort. So that is correct. So if the third child is three or up, then you do need to go to a resort, a resort that can accommodate five in the room. Um, and, and speaking to where he's saying if there is a free dining plan next year as well, we've seen so many deals this year because the economy situation. And if the economy sees some type of recovery, I wouldn't count on seeing as much as we've seen this year. So especially during the traditionally busy summer season, like June is what he's talking about, at least not to the levels we've seen. So the answer is a bit of a gamble here. If he's going purely for savings of money, then yeah, it makes sense to, to go when your daughter is still two. You can stay, and, and she's in a, a crib, you can stay in the standard hotel room, you don't need a park ticket for her, and that is going to save you some money. Um, that is where you can take advantage of the of the situation. And of course, if you go earlier, you also avoid the heat in June. Yeah, that's I was going to say, that's the other benefit too, is timing, yeah. especially with the young kids. Um you know, sure she'll be in a stroll or things like that, but but June could be pretty brutal. Um, yeah, and honestly, you know, you never know what Disney's going to do from year to year. And historically, they have been um, doing the free dining typically in fall when they're trying to to fill the resort. So, like I said, if the economy gets strong again, I would not count on seeing something as big as free dining in in the summer season. More importantly, Becky. Do we think that they would ever have a table service restaurant in a value hotel? One thing I wouldn't, I would never say is never. There's always a possibility. But honestly, I think that that is one of the things that sets apart a value from a moderate where the, um, it encourages people to, uh, you know, stay up into a moderate resort or up into a deluxe resort. I don't know if we'd actually see one. I, I mean, I, I don't know that we would either, and I think your 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 reasoning is correct. I also don't know in the current value resorts space-wise if there right. isn't. And I will say, Jean-Philippe, because I like saying your name, <laughs> that is something to consider as well. Because I do know uh, when my wife is gone and we've stayed at Pop Century, things like that, when you have young children and a stroller and only two hands, so for example, if – you and maybe one of your children is off at the pool and your wife is taking your – it's very hard to sort of manage the stroller and the tray and things like that. And that was that was the one sort of downside to something like Pop Center. Even French Quarter, not having a table service restaurant, just something to consider, especially if you are a single traveler with a young kids or a couple of young kids. It, it's sometimes tough to juggle. So that may right. play into your decision as well. Very true. Moving on to a name that I can hopefully pronounce easier. Stephen Cantafio says, Lou, does this... And I probably butchered that too. Cantafio. <laughs> Stephen Cantafio. Does the Times Guide list character meeting spots along with estimated appearance times? I've been reading a lot about these, and my understanding is that the times are listed, but I never remember seeing this feature. Then again, I may be confused with the regular park maps and show time sheet. So if you have one... Can you email it to me? Stephen, you may be getting it a little bit confused because you will find on the Times Guide show times and you will find things like in World Showcase, you'll find some of the performers there that come out. What you normally will not find 
are character meet and greet times because they do they can change. The best thing to do is go to City Hall, for example, or guest relations in uh, any of the theme parks and find out if there is a specific ca- character. You can also go up to cast members and say, hey, I'm looking for Mulan. I'm looking for Mickey. Where and when right. is the best time to find him? That is probably your best bet. But um, there is no set time sheet for character meet and greets. Right. I totally agree that asking the question, finding out that day is probably going to be your best bet to find what you're looking for. Moving on to another but different food question. This one comes from Jonathan Shar. He says, Lou, I've been trying to get an answer to this question, but everyone asked I, over at Disney has a different opinion. I know that there are certain counter service restaurants at the various resorts where you can order kosher food, pizza, chicken nugget, soups, etc. The last I heard was that these were located at the Values and a few of the moderates, but no deluxe resorts. Do you know if this has changed? If I wanted to stay at the Polynesian, does that mean that I would not be able to get any kosher food over there? Also, just an FYI for your kosher-keeping listeners, it makes no sense at all to do free free dining if you keep kosher. Since free dining only allows one sit-down meal per day and no counter service, he says it's a huge waste of money. Thanks for any help. Love the show. Jonathan, first things first, um, I, I don't keep kosher, so I am I can only speak to what I have heard from other people and what I've heard from Disney. I want to do two things. I want to, one, reference you back to an earlier show where I talked about going to Walt Disney World for people with special needs and about dining, because we do talk a lot about that and some of the dining, special dining requirements. According to Disney, they do say that kosher dietary needs can be accommodated at most of the table service restaurants. For kosher, for allergies, things like that, what you need to do is request that service in advance. If you call 407-WDW-DINE, let them know that you do need to keep kosher. You do have a certain food, peanut, gluten allergy, whatever it is. They will accommodate you, and Disney is the best at making those accommodations. Also, yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, they are wonderful. The chefs will call you back. You can really work with them as to, to fit your needs. Right. The other thing, too, is that you can get some kosher products off the shelf, as it were, um, at certain select merchandise locations. And again, go to guest relations or when you go to the merchandise locations, you can ask if they have, a kosher, if they have any kosher items. There are some places that you can get kosher meals without any advance requests. And I will put this list in the show notes. Again, you can also call Disney and go to Disney's website for this. In Animal Kingdom, you go to Pizzafari. Over at Disney's Hollywood Studios at the ABC Commissary. At Epcot, excuse me, the Liberty Inn at the American Adventure. Magic Kingdom, Cosmic Rays. At the... Resorts, it's a little bit different. At the All-Star Food Courts, you can go to World Premiere at Movies, Intermission at Music, and End Zone at Sports. And the others is uh, uh, Everything Pop over at Pop Century, Caribbean Beach at the Food Court, Sasagula over at French Quarter, and the Food Court at Riverside. There are also lists of places where you cannot get kosher meals. Again, I'll put this list in there, but it's things like Teppanyaki Dining Room, House of Blues, Fulton's Crab House, uh, Shula's, Blue Zoo, a few places like that. Again, 
Best bet, call in advance if you have any special dietary requirements. Again, that number, 407-WDW-DINE. Again, I'll link in the show notes. Definitely go back and check out the special needs episode. We talk specifically at length about dining in Walt Disney World, special dietary requirements. Comes from Jay, who's also known as Spine on the WDW Radio Forums. He says, hey, Lou, I'm leaving for Walt Disney World, and I'm only bringing a carry-on bag, like how you roll. And I want to avoid the airline charges for checked baggage these days. Good idea. I always bring a lanyard with a handful of pins on them with me to the parks. So this question came to mind. Are the Disney pins allowed in your carry-on bags? Thanks. Keep up the great work. And for reference, he is flying on Delta. Hmm. You know, I, I just came back from my adventures by Disney um, from the Backstage Magic Tour that you weren't on, Lou. Um, <laughs> and I had my lanyard in my carry-on when I when I came back. Now, obviously, they didn't stop me. They didn't say anything. I don't think I thought about putting it in there. However, I'd advise you to check with the airline individually on the specific rules because if you do get to the, the security and they do find it, and they will confiscate it and take it. So I would definitely check to see with the um, with the airlines what they will allow you to carry on. Yeah, something else you might want to do too is when you're going through security, um, if you open up your bag or you take it out and you lay it on top so they can see it ahead of time, that might right. expedite things as well. And let you know once they see what it is and it's it's not. You know, harmful at all unless you're going to be winging pins at people on the uh, on the flight. <laughs> I think it should be fine. I think it should be fine. So yeah, I think so too. I just I would really hate for it to be a situation where it's like, well, you you got to check your pins. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't imagine um, I, I couldn't imagine that happening. So the next email is from Christopher, who's from Queens, New York, who says, "Hey Lou, I'm going to be going to Disney World later this year and staying on property." At the Disney's Saratoga Springs Resort. During my trip, I'll be driving and parking at the Ticket and Transportation Center when visiting the theme parks. I'll be going to the Magic Kingdom at 8 a.m. for extra magic hours and was wondering if the Express Monorail or the Resort Monorail would be running to the Magic Kingdom from the Ticket Transportation Center for the 8 a.m. extra magic hours. Good news, Christopher. Yeah, good news is, is for sure. I, they begin running approximately an hour before park opening, I, I do believe. You got it. So you'll be able to get there not only for extra magic hours, but even earlier so you can catch the early morning opening celebration train rope drop show. That you shouldn't miss. You absolutely shouldn't miss. If you're going that early, go a little earlier and make sure to see it. And you know what's nice? They have that little espresso coffee place at the TTC Go over there, grab your coffee, hop on the ferry boat or hop on the monorail, and you're all caffeined up and ready to go. Great idea. So, Yum. <laughs> the next email is from Josh. You know Josh from the voicemails at the end of the show. Well, now here's a question for Josh in the middle of the show. He says, hey, Lou and Becky, since I've entered so many contests, <laughs> I want to be prepared for if I win. That's a way. Josh, I like how you think. Stay positive, always. So he has three questions. Number one, we're going to bang through these quickly. I know it. What moderate resort do you suggest for a family with kids? Port Orleans, Riverside. Really? Really? Moderate with kids. 
Uh, well, yeah, I, I would say that as well. I do like Port Orleans Riverside. For some reason, I thought you were going to go Caribbean Beach. So that's why you just kind of shocked me because I was going to go, no, I like Port Orleans Riverside. <laughs> I do. That, <laughs> I, you know, I have, a, uh, I have a recent love affair, a renewed love affair with Port Orleans Riverside. I love the theming. Really? I love Alligator Bayou. I stayed I at Alligator too. Bayou the last couple of night- times I was there. Yeehaw Bob at night. You've got the River Roost, great dining, great mm-hmm. pools, great place to walk around at night. Josh, your family will love it. Number yeah, two, he says, what character dinners, plural, but we're going to give him one. What character dinner do you suggest? Ladies first. Oh, wow. Well, see, with having – got to have a little bit of, um, of clarification here so you can properly qualify. Are there princesses in this party, in this family? Are there – just saying, no, his name is Josh. Yeah, I know, but it says with kids for a family with kids, so that could mean that there are if there if there are little princesses in the group. Obviously, I, I'm I'm kind of torn on this because you haven't taken me there yet for dinner. Um, Cinderella's royal table is always very popular for the the location, not so much the food. Um, and Crystal Palace is also one of my one of my high marks for dinner for a character meal. I, I was I was going to say Crystal Palace. I like wow. Crystal Palace, yeah. I do too, actually. I, I'm, I'm, I really did enjoy the last time I was there. So the food had, had a really good quality, and of course, you can't go wrong with all the Pooh characters. That's true. That's true. And you're in the Magic Kingdom, so absolutely. Number three, and this question's odd. Where will Lou take me for dinner? Take those pills. <laughs> will do. Josh, I will make you a promise, and I'm making the mistake of throwing this out on the air. If you come to Walt Disney World and if I can schedule it with me, I will take you and I will buy you dinner at Pecos Bills. Let's not get crazy. Just one burger, one fry, one drink. That's it. Maybe a <laughs> One maybe a fry. <laughs> <laughs> so Josh says, thanks for all you guys do. Remember, if we can dream it, we can do it. Josh, awesome. Kevin Williams writes in. He's Kevin from Rhode Island. Passerino 6 on the forums. He says he has two questions for you and Becky. I'm planning a trip to the world for the middle of July 2010, and this trip will coincide with my sister's 40th birthday. Nice. Kevin, for future reference, it's always her 29th birthday, just so you know. (laughs) She's always complained that nothing special ever happens for her birthday, so I wanted to make it memorable. I want to surprise my sister with a morning at a spa on her actual birthday. Is it possible to make reservations for the spa without it being part of our normal reservations, and can the spa be paid for in advance increments like the normal reservations? I want to surprise her and can't have it itemized on our trip details. I really want to make this trip special for her because she's a double transplant recipient and takes care of a teenage son practically on her own. She deserves it, and I want to make this special. Thanks for all you do. P.S. Becky... Why don't you use something like, with a little planning, your dreams can come true ah. as your sign-off. Wow, that's Kevin, nice. Kevin, I'm going to tell you something, and I know you've been a member of the forums for a long time. I love that email. I love that email. Good for you for wanting to make somebody that sounds like she is special have a very special day. And uh, mm-hmm. by wanting to prepare her for a real surprise... And take care of that for her with the morning at a spa. And might I say, I suggest I hear nothing but good things about the spa over at Saratoga Springs. Uh, Can you make the reservations and can you pay for it separately? Becky, unless you know otherwise, 
you can. If you call the spa directly, you can give them a credit card. Uh, I don't know how the payments work, if you can hold it, or if you can give them a credit card and say, look, it's a surprise. When it comes time for her to, to pay, put it on this card separate from our room charge. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. You can just call them directly. It won't show up on your reservation. It won't show up on the on the normal uh, reservation printout, which is what it's, it sounds like you're kind of afraid will give away the secret. Um, the payment thing is a little bit different. Ask them because each of the spas operate a little bit differently. I agree that Saratoga Spa uh, is wonderful. I had a couple of great treatments there, and I think I need another research trip. It's been a while. Um, <laughs> but they will be more than happy to work with you on whatever's going to be best for you. So just give them a call and ask them. Awesome. Again, great, um, great email, Kevin. Let us know how that works out for yeah. you and for your sister. And uh, Becky, I think that's going to do it because we can't top that email with anything else right now. And, and uh, for sake of running too long and giving you enough time to think about your outro, although I do like Kevin's. By the I, way. I do like Kevin's, but I, I, I think I, I think I do have one. Okay. You ready? Um, you ready? Are we ready? Well, uh, let yeah. me do let me do the gratuitous thanking you for being on the show as always and for all your vacation planning needs. You can visit Becky and her team of wonderful, lovely agents over at mousefantravel.com. So Becky, here it is. Insert drum roll here. Thanks for joining me on the show. You're very welcome, Lou, and that just leaves me to ask you, where are you taking me for dinner next time? See, I don't like that outro. <laughs> Take those bills. Take those bills. Me, you, and Josh no, are going to have no, no, a no. triple I think, date. I think that there was a there was a list, and I think the the, the user the the listeners will remember this. There's a list. There is a list. Where do you want to go? List. Oh, you know, uh, I think we need to do Cinderella's Royal Table, don't we? I think we need to do Cinderella's Royal Table next time. I really I do. That, I think that that's next on the list. Although I don't Perfect. think that they'll let us stay there for six hours. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we can always try the theory. It'll be a fun experiment. <laughs> Looking forward to it, Lou. I'll see you in the castle. Alrighty. Walt Disney World is always in a state of change. And change, for the most part, is good. Because whether you are a purist or a nostalgic, Walt Disney World and Disneyland were never meant to be complete and certainly were never meant to be museums. And when something goes away, it's hopefully going to be improved upon and replaced by something. And with the recent announcement of the expansion of Walt Disney World World's Magic Kingdom's Fantasyland, certainly it's an exciting time to be a theme park fan with such an expansive growth and really doubling of the size of one of the original lands here at the Magic Kingdom. But with change and with growth, sometimes comes loss, as in the case of here, because Mickey's Toontown Fair will be no more. The last land to be added to the Magic Kingdom, it will be replaced and taken over buy some of that growth and expansion. So we thought it best to try and chronicle and really document the history of this once meant to be, well, I guess it really is, temporary land, uh, a little bit later than expected. And of course, when we talk about the history of Walt Disney World and certainly 
the depth of the stories that a land like Toontown, believe it or not, really does have. Certainly, I could not and should not do it alone. I need to bring on somebody that knows those stories better than anyone in Toontown or anywhere else. And that is, of course, the incomparable Jim Corcus. Jim, always a pleasure having you back. Always a pleasure to be here, Lou. And, and, and like you, I have ambiguous feelings. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to some of those uh, changes, that expansion of uh, Fantasyland. But, it, but it's always uh, sad to, to give up some old, familiar uh, places, you know, whether, uh, whether you get rid of the world of motion or horizons <laughs> or whatever, you know, um, it, it does. It, it grows and it uh, changes. Uh, the Disney parks are, uh, are uh, a living thing. And, and, and it's nice, though, to, to take a moment and take uh, one sort of last uh, look. I, I know that a lot of your listeners have been to Toontown uh, Fair here at uh, Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World many, many times. And I, I hope today, as we talk... Uh, can give them a, a, a couple of insights so that they can go back, take a look at those videos and photos and go, oh my gosh, I walked right by that and I didn't even know. Well, like you said, it is bittersweet because certainly it's exciting when you see a land like Fantasyland expand with new offerings and new character interactive areas, new restaurants, uh, certainly very, very exciting with the Be Our Guest and the Gaston's Tavern, dining establishments. We also get a new attraction with The Little Mermaid. We get an improvement of an existing, obviously one of the most popular attractions still in the parks, the doubling of Dumbo. And and interesting to see what this non-queue, interactive queue is going to be like. But you mentioned things like World of Motion and Horizons, even 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. There's singular attractions that go away. This is the first time we're ever talking about an entire land, which encompasses multiple attractions going away. I mean, being wiped off the map. So it is sort of that, even if you didn't come here that often, it is somewhat bittersweet, especially for guys like us that enjoy walking through here and picking out some of the wonderful details in places like Mickey's Country's House and and Goofy's Barnstormer. Uh, And, you know, it's very funny. I've had the uh, uh, opportunity to interview a lot of people who worked at um, the original uh, Disneyland, you know, and who were hired in 1955, and most of those people, whether it, whether it was um, uh, Tommy Walker, who was doing uh, entertainment, or his uh, father, Vessi, who was the band leader, or, or Wally Bogue at the Golden Horseshoe Review, all of them were told, this is a temporary contract. <laughs> you know, the, the, this will be a month, this will be two, three months, and uh, in some cases ended up having a, a 20-year career or, or more. And uh, in, in that way, Toontown Fair is, is very similar because... Uh, for a temporary location, it's been here for two <laughs> decades. And um, I, I, I think it uh, would be great uh, for us to go through uh, maybe a little bit of a, a history of that so that we can understand, because some of those elements from the beginning uh, exist here in, in Toontown Fair. There's a reason for it uh, being here. Um, you know, back in um, uh, 1987... Uh, there was uh, trouble in the Disney Kingdom, and um, uh, that tr- uh, that trouble was uh, actually threefold. Um, first off, um, 1988 was coming up, and uh, they knew that in 1989 
There'd be the opening of uh, the Disney MGM Studios, Typhoon Lagoon, uh, Pleasure Island. And uh, the Accountaneers took a look and they saw that when Epcot opened, the year before Epcot opened, uh, attendance at the Magic Kingdom dropped dramatically. And, and I can understand that because most people usually come and visit Walt Disney World, you know, once every three or four years on, on, on average. And uh, so if I was going to make a vacation trip, I'd, I'd save up my nickels and dimes for another 12 months. And boy, I'd, I'd get both. Well, they didn't want that to happen. So they needed to have something at the Magic Kingdom that was such a huge attraction. But it had to be temporary because then it would force people oh, I've got to go now because it, it, it may be gone by the time I, I actually get there. Um, the other problem they had is the major guest complaint at uh, Walt Disney World was guests saying, I don't get a chance to see Mickey. I want a, a snapshot. I want an autograph. Well, go around Fantasyland. Go, you know. And uh, there really weren't set times or set locations. And this was a huge guest uh, dissatisfier, bigger than than standing in line or, or anything else. And in addition, 1988 was going to be uh, Mickey's 60th birthday. Nowadays, the Disney company no longer celebrates Mickey's birthday because uh, the philosophy is if you say that it's Mickey's 75th birthday or 80 or whatever, they think of him as an old character. So the celebration now is 80 years with Mickey. No birthday cake, though. But, uh, but back in the day, for the 50th and the 60th, huge, huge celebrations. And for the, the 60th, uh, it was going to start out with Mickey in the, in the Rose Parade. And there was a, a magazine, Mickey is 60, devoted uh, specifically to Mickey Mouse with a, a faux uh, Saracel uh, um, inside. There was going to be a, a special TV program where Mickey gets lost and Roger Rabbit has to find him. And uh, there were huge, huge promotions, but... Nothing at the parks. So um, Michael Eisner and Frank Wells uh, uh, did something just uh, uh, amazing, and it, it shows how exciting it was when they, they took over the company uh, 84, 85. They made that decision in, in 87 that um, we're going to build a location at uh, the Magic Kingdom where we, we're going to celebrate Mickey's birthday, and this will also be a way for... Um, uh, guests to know where to, to find Mickey, and uh, as well, uh, the excitement surrounding this will generate, you know, attendance. And what made this so exciting is basically the Imagineers were given 90 days to design Mickey's Birthday Land. Do you remember those days? I just remember that it happened so very fast, and I've talked, I've spoken with people who said, you know, here's your budget, here's your timetable make it happen and make it happen fast and when it first opened you got that sense that it was very not not that it was rushed but it was going to be temporary and it was done sort of limited time limited dollar wise right uh, again it was only supposed to be uh, for 18 months or at, or as those Disney cynics say a Disney year <laughs> Disney year is never 12 months 18 months and so that's why there's circus tents because circus tents were quick and easy to put up and, uh, you know, sturdy enough to, to hold things. And um, that's why there were also an awful lot of uh, cardboard uh, cutouts. So there were uh, facades in the land, so you really couldn't go into 
uh, things. Donald had a boat, the SS Donald, but he, but again, it was a cutout facade. You could sit there and you could look at it, but you couldn't go in and and interact. The the only structure that was uh, uh, permanent was uh, Mickey's house. Do you remember that and, and how different that is from the one we have today? Right, and there, and also, I guess you could say the the train station. It, it, it they built a for the first time a new train depot here for what was, and this is what I remember about this a lot, was the Birthday Land Express. Abs- absolutely. The, uh, the show writer and director for Mickey's Birthday Land was Imagineer Steve Hansen, and uh, he pulled in uh, Ron Schneider. Ron Schneider was the uh, uh, original walk-around uh, dream finder at Epcot, and Ron has a, has a rich background in, in entertainment, and he wrote and then uh, later sung the... Uh, the song on Mickey's Birthday Land Express, and and again, we needed the train station up here because uh, this is really in that out of the way corner up to the the top of the park there, and so yes, they they had that little song, and you saw cutouts, you saw the three little pigs in a in a raft, you know, on the waterway heading this way, you saw. Um, uh, uh, Pinocchio and, and his friends by Stromboli's uh, uh, wagon. You saw the remnants of the Mad Tea Party with a sign that said, Gone to Mickey's Party, uh, you know, uh, over here. And of, and of course, when you came into the park, you had Minnie making the announcement, Don't tell Mickey. There's Mickey must have been the only person who didn't know because everybody else did. Yes, hop on the Birthday Land Express, walk up this way. There, there's uh, uh, a birthday... Um, uh, celebration, and it's going to be happening in Duckburg. Right. Now, uh, uh, Duckburg, <laughs> how, how did they come up with that? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, people said, well, how come they just didn't call it uh, Toontown? Well, Mickey's Birthday Land opened June 18th, 1988, but Who Framed Roger Rabbit didn't open until June 22nd, 1988. And even though now we know that Who Framed Roger Rabbit was, was very innovative, at the time there was a lot of fear and concern in the Disney company. Even Michael Eisner thought that there was uh, too much sexual references in the film, that it wasn't going to be, be popular. Um, and uh, Steve Hansen was very familiar with the works of Carl Barks, who w- wrote uh, and drew a lot of the classic Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge comic books. So he was familiar with Duckburg, especially since the DuckTales series had premiered September 87. So Duckburg seemed to be the place where the tunes would, would be. Because Mickey never had a permanent home. In, in the early days, uh, it was said that Mickey lived in Burbank or he lived in Hollywood. Uh, in the comic books, they tried to make it Mouseville, but that never caught on. And, and in later, uh, Mouston, to go with Houston, you know, Mouston, none of that caught on. So it was going to be uh, Duckburg, um, uh, where the population was billions, everything, a place that it's everything that's quacked up to be. And so um, Duckburg, the home of, of Donald and, and his friends, now became the home of Mickey. And I remember that it was... A little town, and by little I mean like loose-sized town, because there were these tiny little, again, cardboard cutout storefronts, and there's pictures of little kids sort of towering over the doorways, but again, very quickly erected, but giving that sense that you really were in this fictitious cartoon town. Right. You had you had uh, Goofy's Clip Joint, which was a barber shop, and you had uh, HD&L Toys, which is Huey, Dewey, and Louie Toys. Uh, so that was fun. And you could have your uh, pictures taken, you know, with these uh, 
uh, facades. And again, much more popular than you would realize because uh, later at uh, Disneyland, in, I, I think like around uh, 91, uh, they set up um, uh, facades on Disney Afternoon Avenue out by Videopolis and, and uh, S- Small World. And, and there were those facades where, you know, uh, a Duckburg facades where you could get your, your picture taken. And uh, again, uh, uh, very popular for that. And this was, as you said, this was actually the first new land added to the Magic Kingdom, but it was also the smallest. Uh, they used some of the backstage area, but the Grand Prix Raceway uh, had to be, um, they had to actually cut off part of that and reconfigure the tracks. And, of course, that was in the days before the Internet, so there was nobody, <laughs> nobody complaining, what are you doing? You're, 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 you're cutting out the, the Autopia the lines here. What, what? So uh, for that, and again, had to be up, had to, had to be uh, uh, quick, and by golly, there it was, June 18th, 1988, and it was open and ready for business. It was a surprise, not just for Mickey, but for the guests who came here because they got it up so fast. I mean, I actually, going back, I remember yeah. being in my room. We talked about the cardboard cutouts throughout the Magic Kingdom. Being in my room, reminding you to, hey, make sure you come to this new land in the Magic Kingdom because we're having a surprise party for Mickey. And two, not only going with the fact that cartoons lived here, but to erect something quickly, they erected these circus tents where inside, I remember, they showed various Disney cartoons as well. Oh, uh, ab- absolutely. This was a, uh, a big deal. I, 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 but I, I remember um, uh, for one of my nieces, the big thrill for her was uh, the Grandma Duck's uh, uh, petting, petting zoo. Yeah, petting farm. And, and you had ducks and goats and... Uh, Minnie Moo. And Minnie Moo, yes. The, the uh, white cow with a, uh, on the side, she had the uh, uh, three black uh, silhouette circles for the Mickey ears. And she was Minnie Moo because out at Disneyland at Big Thunder Ranch, they had Mickey Moo, which was the, the same thing. And uh, uh, they later retired her in... Uh, 2001, I think. Out to, uh, no, she died in 2001. Uh, when they they did the the redesign to Toontown Fair, they moved her out to uh, Fort Wilderness uh, Ranch. There. Did you mean to, they moved her out? <laughs> <laughs> That's utter nonsense. Uh, and, and and you know nobody's going to believe none of this was unscripted, <laughs> but it's true. And I remember really sort of the uh, the cornerstone, or the one of the things that certainly sticks in my mind too was the show, which was Minnie's surprise party that she threw for her <clears throat> friend, Mickey. And uh, if you want to hum or sing a few bars of We Love You, Mickey Mouse, <laughs> the song from the show, feel free, because not only do I not remember, but I wouldn't be able to sing it well, anyway. No, no I, 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 I sing... Uh, people say, you know, are, are, are you uh, alto? Are you tenor? I said, I sing whatever the person next to me is singing. So when a soprano's next to me, I almost kill myself... Uh, uh, doing that, no, and and in, you know there was a little bit of controversy over that too. That um, Disney management wanted it called Mickey's Party, but uh, Steve Hansen, who was the writer and director, was basing it on the classic uh, Disney cartoon where Minnie was throwing that surprise party for Mickey, and Goofy was cooking a cake uh, in an oven with volcano heat, and that gag still survives on the on the ovens in. Uh, in their Mickey and Minnie's houses uh, today here in Toontown uh, Fair. And so he won that one, so it, it, it was that. So, yes, you'd see cartoons, you'd 
you'd see the show, and then the finale was actually the cake and, and confetti exploding, and then you went and uh, you got to see the birthday boy himself and autographs and, and all that, which was the whole purpose was here is the one place where you're guaranteed to, to meet Mickey, get the autograph, um, you know, and, and again, this sparked this whole meet and greet type areas that we see in the Disney parks right now that guests really love that. They're guaranteed if I'm there, I get to see this character, I get to have that interaction. And I don't think that they were necessarily prepared for that because they said, okay, 18 months, 12 months, 18 months, we'll get rid of this. They realized come 1990, we need to not only continue on with this, but we need to change the theme. We need to improve upon what were these temporary cardboard cutouts and storefronts. Well, yeah, you can't keep continuing celebrating uh, uh, Mickey's 60th birthday forever. <laughs> so, so you've got that. And My wife's been 29 for like 12 years. <laughs> All right. I, I, see, I'm 29. I, I'm, well, I tell people I'm pushing 29, but I never say from which side. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it, 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 was, it was like, uh, okay, um, uh, this is good, and, we, and, and let's, let's do some uh, updating of, of some of the material here. Um, so it can't be Birthday Land anymore. They're going to make it Starland because this is Mickey and his stars, the star Disney star characters. That name just screams eight late eighties, <laughs> <laughs> and it and it does because uh, again at the time too they were uh, debating about eventually creating a Hollywood Land at uh, Disneyland. It was going to be uh, behind Main Street and have uh, Roger Rabbit attractions and attractions on that popular film Dick Tracy. So. <laughs> So they went with Starland, and of course, different changes had to be made. Like, you talked about the show, now it became Mickey's Magical TV World. And it showcased all the stars from the syndicated Disney Afternoon TV series, but they would rotate out over the years. So it started with the Gummy Bears, but then they got replaced by Darkwing Duck, and and even the DuckTales cast got replaced by Goof Troop. And, and even at one point, the show had uh, Bonkers, which was uh, Disney's attempt to create a Roger Rabbit character that they owned completely by themselves, and the audience didn't like it at all. Uh, and, of course, they had a uh, host, uh, CJ, but it was CJ, so it could be either male or female, and then a rapping computer dude uh, for that. So, yes, you, you were absolutely right. May 26, 1990... Um, it became uh, Mickey's Starland and uh, was serving that same uh, function, an area where you could be guaranteed to, to meet Mickey. And, and again, a very uh, child-centric area. Uh, I, I have a little uh, four-year-old uh, nephew, and we, we were at the Magic Kingdom a couple of weeks ago, and he doesn't like riding on the dark rides. You know, he definitely won't go on, on Haunted Mansion or Pirates, but even rides like Snow White, you know, the darkness is... Uh, uh, a little uh, uh, concerning for him, but here, you know, this is this is where kids could come and play. Yeah, and, and they turned this around very quickly. It closed in April, opened May 26th, so very quickly they were able to, to tear it down because there wasn't much to tear down. It certainly had a much more permanent look to it as well. And like you said, this uh, as we look forward towards Fantasyland, where. The, it's expanding and leveraging the brand of the princesses. Here, they were able to take a land and leverage their TV characters, the Ducktales and the Gummy Bears, and the, had the ability here to rotate them out and, and really take advantage of that in one area without 
compromising the integrity of a place like a fantasy land or any other lands in the Magic Kingdom. Abs absolutely, absolutely. You know, and uh, uh, sometimes Disney is successful in spite of itself <laughs> rather than because of itself, and it lucked into that, and uh, that that played out uh, onto the West Coast out there in Anaheim because, as I said, you know, they were planning a Hollywood land, but, uh, you know, the budget and the overruns for Euro Disney, all of that, it wasn't going to happen, and Dick Tracy wasn't as successful as they they hoped and all that, and they saw how successful Starland was out here. You know, it, it was just bursting at the seams, so they decided to create out there um, Toontown, because by then, uh, the Roger Rabbit film had really established that Toontown is where Toons lived. And so the Imagineers came up with the concept that Mickey and his gang always lived out there in Anaheim. In fact, that was one of the reasons that Walt decided to build in that location is it was right next to Toontown. But there was a wall separating Toontown from the park so that the characters could have their privacy. But in uh, 1993, the characters decided, nope, we want to go in and, and, and play too, so we're going to tear down this wall. And here's, uh, uh, here's Toontown, which, of course, was an immediate success. And so um, Disney started to look, okay, how can we adapt this out to uh, the park uh, in Florida? And uh, one of the occasions, of course, is Walt Disney World's uh, 25th uh, anniversary coming up in 1996. Yeah, and if you've been to Disneyland and, and you've been to, obviously, Walt Disney World, the Toontown there is very different than the fair, the Toontown Fair we have here, there's a very clear distinction there's more attractions, it's a, it's a much more deeply themed area with Roger Rabbit's cartoon spin uh, even with the characters and some of the facades and things like that, but clearly that distinction and making this the, the fair versus the town was done on purpose Well, and, and there's several things that are uh, almost exactly the same, Mickey's house uh, Donald's boat, Miss Daisy. But yes, the, there's the differences. For instance, out there you've got uh, Gadget's Go Coaster, uh, because Gadget, very popular, um, you know, with uh, uh, the Rescue Rangers. In fact, their whole fan club's just devoted to to to, to Gadget there, and um, Goofy's Bounce House, and 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 things like that. So, uh, and again, that was originally the concept of the Disney theme parks, is that every park should be um, just a little bit different. So if you experience Pirates of the Caribbean at Disneyland, most people then would say, well, I'm going to uh, uh, Magic Kingdom. I'll skip Pirates because I've seen it. No, it's a different experience at, at Walt Disney World. Uh, maybe there are different scenes. Maybe there's a different configuration. Um, you know, Mr. Toad uh, out here talking about rides that disappeared, out here it had double track, you know, didn't exist uh, uh, in Disneyland. So it was like... Uh, Yes, we're going to do that. Now, the storyline, of course, was that the Toons lived in Toontown, and Toontown was there in Anaheim, so they can't be living out here in Florida. So it became the Toontown Fair, so this is where the Toons would go on vacation. And why would they happen to be out on vacation right now? Well, they're on vacation right now at their country homes 
because a fair is going on. You know, a fair only happens once a year, and Mickey is traditionally the judge. In fact, as we take a look at the, the sign out here at the front of Toontown Fair, we see that the image we have of Mickey is he has the judge sash across. Uh, so this is very important to him. So they are out here right now because the fair is going on. And we know the fair is temporary because, again, you have the tents. You know, obviously tents are a temporary thing, so the tents are, are, are put up, they're, they're temporary, and there are temporary banners. So you talked about the train station, the train station is still there, but there's a banner across it now that has fair on it. And you can tell that it's a banner, it's like, oh, well, that's just up there right now for, for this. And, uh, of course, it's the Toontown Fair, so you're guaranteed that it's going to be a good time every day because the fair is in town. The fair is going on. And how fortunate for Disney that they could repurpose their circus tents to now be fair tents. <laughs> yes. And uh, uh, cost-effective, I think, I think is the uh, uh, term... Um, uh, Disney uh, uses and and of course uh, uh, a wonderful uh, story and and retaining uh, some of the elements uh, from the uh, uh, earlier stories you know even uh, uh, even Duckburg one of the things in Duckburg was in the fountain there was a statue of Cornelius Coote now Cornelius Coote was supposedly the founder of Duckburg and um, while he was defending Fort Duckburg, apparently he uh, popped corn so that uh, Spanish uh, uh, invaders that were attacking the fort thought that there were reinforcements, the guns going off, and so they were scared away. And Cornelius Coote also um, brought water into uh, Duckburg that helped with irrigation and irrigation of the crops. And so that's why his statue was holding a ear of corn, and he was in a, in a fountain. And uh, this was actually a creation of Carl uh, Barks, who created the whole concept of Duckburg. He was a comic book artist, and this appeared in a comic book where Uncle Scrooge was building bigger and bigger statues of Cornelius uh, uh, Coote in a, in a competition. And so that was copied exactly and uh, uh, incorporated in Mickey's uh, Birthday Land and uh, Starland. Now, today, it's over here in Toontown Fair. It's out in front of the County Bounty uh, uh, tent there, and he's surrounded by corn, and it still fits into the story because now it's like, yes, you know, he, he, he's doing produce, and there's all the competition for the produce going on, so this is it. And what the Imagineers did is they went back and retroactively changed history. If you take a look carefully at the plaque in the front there, it shows that Cornelius is not just the uh, uh, founder of uh, Duckburg, but the founder of Toontown Fair. And he's also Donald's great, great, Grandfather, You are absolutely correct. Most people don't know that. You need to get a life. <laughs> and, uh, yes, uh, ab absolutely uh, correct. And, you know, uh, other things, and as we walk around, we'll, we'll talk about it, but other things were repurposed as well. So, for instance, Grandma Duck's uh, uh, petting zoo, petting farm there, you know, became the barnstormer, also, you know, uh, Red Barns, uh, uh, area there. So, so a couple of those uh, uh, elements still around for, for people who know. But, but let's, let's begin our tour here at, at, at the front of Toontown Fair. And as I pointed out already, the, this sign in front 
is uh, just like any storytelling is is giving us an indication of what is the story we're going to see. So we're going to see Donald on the boat. We're going to see Goofy in, in his uh, uh, plane. As, as I mentioned, we see uh, Mickey dressed up there with the judge's sash across. So, so we, we have that idea, but, but we go into Toontown Fair, and the first thing we see here is, is uh, uh, Pete's uh, service station. You know, and, and, and Pete's a villain, Pete's a, and, and this is certainly a service station, you know, small town service station. This is an entrance, you know, to, uh, to a land. Well, again, you've got to think about uh, the story. You're on vacation. So when you're on vacation, usually you're driving. Even if you take a plane, you're going to rent a car to drive to where you... And since you're driving, one of the first places you're going to want to do is you're going to want to stop at a gas station to either fill up, get directions, use the restroom, whatever. And when you're leaving the town, usually that's one of the first places you're going to want to stop because check the air and the tires, get more gas, whatever, uh, as you go out. But the reason Pete is in charge, because there, there was no... Um, a specific Disney cartoon where, where Pete ran a service station. Um, there was one where Mickey ran a, a, a service station with Goofy and Donald, and the whole thing fell apart. But um, Pete is in charge because there's this stereotype that these uh, out-of-the-way uh, gas stations, you know, in rural areas and whatever, uh, have a tendency to be maybe a little crooked, you know, maybe don't know exactly what they're doing. And so that's why you have... Um, uh, uh, Pete there, and uh, you can see the the uh, gas pump out front here, and this is gulp gas. Do you know why it's gulp gas, Lou? Favor us. Because <laughs> I know any answer I, I give is be like, well, that's a good guess, but you're wrong. Well, because you're 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 the uh, uh, eyes and ears of of the listening audience here. You're the surrogate for them, so I uh, never want to tell people what what they already uh, know here. And I guess this is showing my age a little bit, but one of the longtime sponsors for Disney was Gulf, G-U-L-F. And uh, in fact, um, I'm, I'm old enough that, that as a kid, I remember uh, my folks pulling into, even though they didn't usually get Gulf gas, stopping at a Gulf station because they would have a Mickey, uh, a Disney magazine. Um, they printed several issues of that, and I also remember very clearly there were two um, uh, record albums. They were probably '78s of uh, Disney music, but you could only get them when you did a fill-up at a Gulf gas station. Gulf was a longtime sponsor of the Disney uh, TV show, so Gulp Gas is is a is a reference to uh, Gulf. Weren't they also the, the sponsor of the Gulf Hospitality House? Absolutely, and. Uh, but Pete here, he has no hospitality at all. If you take around, look around the corner there, you, you see the uh, uh, water fountains, and you see what the water fountains are connected to and coming from. It's Pete's oil. And, and you know, even I know that oil and water don't mix, you know. And, uh, and Pete has been a little sinister. He's, uh, he's dropped the key, the restroom key, into the uh, gulp gas as well too so you can't use the restrooms fortunately there's some public restrooms there you can you can make use of and then um, right across the street um, uh, Pete is the head painter uh, and literally paints heads because it, it, you do the face painting there where you can get a tune-up t-o-o-n uh, to go uh, with the tune-up and, and and we see all the wonderful 
uh, detail here of the devices of you know what what would paint a car and now it's being used to to paint kids uh, faces and uh, there's also a sign here of uh, Pete's uh, impound lot because he impounds a lot and for the strollers and then he's also got uh, bumpers growing out here and it's a bumper crop of bumpers and uh, again that themes in with there's going to be that uh, uh, celebration and that contest um, inside the uh, county bounty uh, uh, tent with uh, Cornelius Coote on uh, on the outside. Uh, maybe we should go into the county bounty tent and take a look at that before we uh, explore a little uh, further. See some of the people who won some prizes here. Sounds good. Now, Jim, I have a feeling that unless listeners have young children or are curious, like you and I are, most people don't make their way into the Toontown Fair, certainly not into the tent here. And I think what they're going to find, if they do spend some time and look around and are interested in some of the details, there are some really fun, interesting things here that even if they have been here before, might have walked right by, never have even noticed. Well, and, and you know, um, that, that's uh, very true. There's a lot of locations, merchandise locations, that have huge storylines uh, 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 for them. And so most people come in and just see, well, there are things to buy and I, I want to keep my child away from that. But there are other elements uh, to see. And, of course, in keeping with... Um, uh, the county fair. We've got all the the colorful banners up there. We've even got the string of, of lights that you you would see at a at a county uh, fair. But also, you see some of the competitions that are going on and the exhibits uh, over there. As you enter, you have the blue ribbon sewing bee hat stitching, and the little character up there. If people are not familiar, uh, that's Spike the Bee, who was in an awful lot of the uh, uh, Donald Duck uh, cartoons. Looks very much like a Mickey minus the ears, but with an antenna instead. Well, and, and he was he was very popular. He was in in several cartoons, and uh, uh, boy, you're taking a risk not uh, not identifying him there. But people would go with that uh, for the doll making exhibit. Of course, you have Mr. Potato Head, so you can you can make your your own doll. You have uh, uh, blue jeans over there where Clarabelle Cow won. And uh, actually, they are bell-bottom jeans, and we notice that the bottom of the jeans are in the shape of cowbells. And then we see uh, her boyfriend, Horace Horsecollar, has a, an apple, and of course, horses love apples, and so has taken a, a, a good chunk out of that. And then uh, Toby Tortoise, uh, you know, from the tortoise and the, uh, the hare, and... Uh, here he, he's one with his turtleneck sweater shell. <laughs> so nice, wonderful uh, little attention uh, uh, to detail in here. Uh, some merchandise shops even more elaborate with, with uh, uh, some of the, the detailing. But uh, again, a nice little touch and a, and a nice uh, reminder, too, that, you know, when you go into a merchandise shop, you don't have to concentrate just on the merchandise. You can concentrate on some of the other items and and we see all the other produce and all that have been uh, brought in by some of the other characters you know uh, for that competition but but you know uh, that line looks pretty short over there Lou you know I haven't seen a Disney princess all day and so I'm going through withdrawal symptoms right now well, why don't we take a, a, a walk down through Toontown Fair a little later let's go over and visit a princess absolutely bring your autograph book Bring your eyes and make sure you pay attention 
to all the details as you walk through and around Mickey's Town to Toontown Fair. We've just sort of scratched the surface, believe it or not, because there is so much more to discover, lots more to explore here. Of course, Jim Corcus, thank you again for telling us the stories behind the stories. Come back again. Let's talk some more. Read some of Jim's incredible work. We're so happy to have him as a part of Celebrations Magazine, where he writes some of those stories behind the stories. And yes, I will take, if you're really, if you're a good boy, Jim, I will take you to go meet your Tinkerbell and her fairy friends and some of the Disney princesses. You know, but they never have the Disney princesses I want to meet, like Giselle, <laughs> Tiger Lily. You know, these are these are Disney princesses. How did they get forgotten? And and in, in terms of fairies, they, they, they forgot. They forgot the three fairy godmothers for, for crying out loud. What What is this? I, I'm going to go in there and protest. Well, you know? I will, we will get one of those apple crates and you can use it as your soapbox. But you know what? We'll go see some more characters and maybe even in a future segment, go exploring Mickey's and Minnie's country houses. Okay, and uh, by the way, taking a look at merchandise over there, I see the uh, uh, Hidden Mickey's book, very popular on property here, and I would recommend it's up to its fourth edition now, too, I think, right? From our good friend Steve Barrett, he has the Hidden Mickey's of Walt Disney World, Disneyland. Might as well give him a plug, too. He has an e-book for the Disney Cruise Line, so yeah, definitely pick it up, because he does the same thing. He wants you to take your time as you're wandering around, make a game out of it with yourself with your kids and enjoy some of the details that Imagineers take so much time putting in. And he also writes for Celebrations magazine, right? Look, you're such a good list. What a, what a shill. I love it. <laughs> All right, Jim, I will see you uh, in line for the fairies and uh, next time on the show. Thank you. I've got to slick my hair back and lose about 40 pounds in about 20 years, but I'm on my way. Thanks very much, Lou. That's all the time we have for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks also to my guests, Becky Mankin from Mouse Fan Travel and Jim Corcus. You can find articles from both of these people in Celebrations Magazine, which you can find and subscribe to at celebrationspress.com. couple of quick reminders. First, the meets of the month. February is coming to a close, but we are going to have a meet of the month in February, and it is going to be Saturday, February 28th, at 11 a.m. It is ESPN the weekend, so what better place to have it than over at Disney's Hollywood Studios where many of the events are taking place. Whenever I choose a place to have a meet of the month, I love having a place where people can sit down, also a place that's close to food. This time, it's going to be over at Min and Bill's Dockside Diner. There, there's picnic tables out front. I think they still have blue umbrellas right across from the American Idol Theater entrance. Again, that's Sunday, February 28th, 11 a.m. I'm going to put this as an event page over on Facebook. I'll also post it in the forums and on the site. If you visit wdwradio.com, I'll link to all those pages. If you're planning on coming by, you don't have to RSVP, but I'd love to let I'd love if you'd let me know that you are going to try and make it. Now, the next meet of the month in March is actually going to be on Saturday, March 6th. And you're saying, well, Lou, that's just the week after. I know it is, but uh, March is going to be a crazy month. 
also, too, it's the Princess Half Marathon Weekend. And for those of you that might miss the one on this Sunday, gives me a chance to meet you, hopefully, if you're going to be in town the week after. That meet is going to be Saturday, March 6th, because the Half Marathon is on Sunday. Thought we would do it early on Saturday, so any of the princesses or princes in princess garb can get back early enough to have some dinner and uh, get ready for the race early the next morning. I will also create an event page with the exact location of that as well. It looks like we're probably going to be over at the Dawa Bar over at Disney's Animal Kingdom, probably around one o'clock. Again, that's Saturday, March 6th. Definitely check the site and the Facebook event page for exact details and time. Hope to see you at either or both of the events. Don't forget, if you have a question that you want answered on the show, just like we did this week, you can email me anytime at lou at wdwradio.com. Or if you want to be heard on the air, have your voicemail played at the end of the show, you can call the toll-free voicemail line at 888-703-2171. Also, please be sure and come by, discuss the show, the site, anything over in the forums or on Facebook. Both are fun free great ways to share your opinions interact with other listeners as well both sites have specific discussions going on about all things disney as well as specific threads about each episode speaking of the site be sure and come over to wdwradio.com sign up for our free newsletter i launched a new newsletter this month coming out every couple of weeks or so still tweaking it adding to it but it has lots of information articles exclusive offers and lots more again it's free over at wdwradio.com. Be sure and come by. Follow me on Twitter for my instant updates. I'm at twitter.com slash Lou I update all the time throughout the day, especially when I'm in Walt Disney World. Love to play some games from there as well, including Where in the World Am I? And also, if you're on Twitter and you're listening to the show right now, go ahead, tweet out that you're listening to the show, link people back, maybe introduce some other people to the show. I mentioned Facebook. Come by and join the WDW Radio Show page over there. That is Facebook.com slash WDW Radio. I mentioned last week, I apologize. I've reached a 5,000 friend limit. That is Facebook's limitation, not mine, for my personal friend page. I know many of you have uh, tried to friend me up there and have sent me emails. I apologize for that. If you can, please go over, join the WDW Radio Show page. I'm going to try and move my updates and content there. But again, please head on, head on over to the WW Radio Show page on Facebook. Again, linking to that right from www.radio.com. Don't forget too, I'm also going to be doing WDW Radio Live, real-time broadcast and chat. That you can find over at www.radiolive.com. I'll be putting broadcasting video. You can come in, come into the text chat room, ask questions, talk to me, lots more going on. Definitely stay tuned to Twitter and Facebook. I'm going to Walt Disney World in the next couple of weeks. I'm just saying, keep on the lookout for maybe a, a WW Radio Live coming right from Walt Disney World again. Don't forget that we are just over one year away from the WDW Radio Cruise aboard the all-new Disney Dream. We are setting sail on February 27th, 2011 for what's going to be an amazing four-night cruise to the Bahamas. The newly expanded Castaway Key. Lots more surprises going on there. For more information, a quote request form, photos, videos, links to the forum where a lot of the people who are already coming 
have created separate threads for who's on what deck. Lots of fun stuff going on as we start to prepare and count down for the year. More information, go to www.radiocruise.com. And as always, my friends, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Come over, review the show on iTunes if you like it. Come say hi on Facebook and in the forums. And of course, thank you for taking the time and tuning in each and every week. I so very much appreciate it. Remember, now is the time to take that first step and keep moving forward to following your dreams. I hope you guys have a great week this week. See ya. Hey, Lou, how are you? This is Matt and Diana Schleen, a longtime listener. Just wanted to leave you a voicemail to say that you uh, really uh, do a wonderful job um, with uh, the Disney podcast. Because uh, my whole life I was really uh, obsessed and crazy about Disney. And finally I met somebody that uh, is like me. But you really uh, bring home and uh, you really go deep and narrow into about Disney and how it affects people's lives and their hearts. And I just want to let you know that, uh, you know, when I listen to your podcast, it really brings me back to my childhood. And I really, really do appreciate uh, you for that. Um, and remember, the only attraction that's still at Epcot from my original day is especially on the Smith Rock. Hey, Lou, this is Ron. Found your podcast about a half year ago and have been really enjoying it. Been going through some of the back episodes, but I've yet to hear you mention anything about Future Core, the marching band that used to play in Epcot. These were really great musicians, and uh, I'd love to hear you uh, maybe do some backstory on them or possibly get an interview if you could. Uh, if anybody's interested, there's tons of Future Core videos on YouTube that are really worth the watch. They play a lot of good cover songs as well as some Disney originals. Keep up the good work. Thanks for the show, Lou. Hi, Lou. This is Meredith from Toronto. I'm a fan of your podcast and the great passion and love that you have for all things WDW. Um, on a more personal note, uh, you mentioned that your father had passed, and so I just wanted to send my condolences to you. You strike me as a very um, kind man and a loyal son and father and um, good to the people around you. That that positive energy I pick up on, not in a psychic way or anything. I'm a good Irish Catholic girl, but, but you know what I mean. And uh, I just wanted to send my condolences because at any age to lose one's father or uh, father-in-law in the case of your wife or grandfather for your children is always difficult. So I just wanted to send you some thoughts and best wishes at this difficult time. Um, so this is Meredith from Toronto. Good night.